Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and I'm joined again today by Pastor Michael Payne. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing? And we have a special guest with us, Pastor John Markey. Hey, John. Hi, guys. So John has been on the podcast before. Uh, we talked about the resurrection mm -hmm. and how it gives meaning to life, music, art, etc. Well, John's in town right now. We're uh, actually uh, able to talk to each other in person, which is cool because last time we talked, it was over uh, it was over Zoom, uh, which worked, but uh, this is so much different and better. And I, I wanted to take this opportunity because in my last episode, we talked about theological method. And I said that one of the, you know, there are different ways of doing theology, systematic theology, biblical theology, canonical, etc. Um, but essentially, you know, you can have a theology of many things, right? There can be a theology of work, um, and I think we should have a theology of work. There can be a theology of, um, you know, basically anything from, um, I don't know, well, in this case, let's talk about theology of music. And I want to talk to both of you about this because... You're both musicians, both songwriters, done producing, and invested a lot of time into music, um, both in worship, but also even outside of worship, right? Into just songwriting and music. And uh, and John, you lead a ministry that's a music ministry. Maybe just mm -hmm. say a word or two about that. Yeah, with uh, Room for More is the ministry, and we um, the basic idea is that we want to express the story of the gospel. Um, in creative forms, however we can do that. And at the moment, that's mostly just through uh, songs that I write, but we also want to expand that into visual visual ways, even like just um, to express creatively, basically, the story of the gospel in as many ways as we can. So yeah, very much along and, those lines. And you know, this does in a way, I'm just immediately thinking back to our prior conversation. Mm -hmm. And and I would just tell anybody listening, uh, go back and listen to that. It was a couple episodes ago in which we talked about the resurrection, how it gives meaning to life and work. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that people would say is like, hey, if the world is like a sinking ship or it's like a house that's on fire, like our goal should not be to put like better curtains or like to paint the walls of the Titanic, right? Or right. play music on the, on the deck of the Titanic while it's sinking. And that, that's one way of looking at it, right? Like what was the point of yeah. investing your time? You're a missionary. So shouldn't you just be out there like grabbing people by the collar in the main square and telling yeah. them to believe in Jesus because right. the end is coming? Why spend time uh, in a studio making music, you yeah. know? And you don't have to answer that quite yet because I, I think that I want to answer a little bit more holistically okay. in the sense of like, what is a theology of music? Is there such a thing? And if there was, if there is, then, then what is it? What's the starting point? And, and what are the salient points that, that people need to understand uh, about a biblical view of what music, and I think that even flows into creativity and art as well. Mm -hmm. So, any of you want to jump in? Mike, I know you've done a lot of thinking on this and teaching on this aspect of creativity. Maybe you could just start there. Well, I think if you're going to build a theology of music, you need to start with God. Um, and that starts in Genesis. As far as our history as human beings begin, and I think when you think of music, you immediately think of creativity. And Well, where does the idea of creativity come from? Um we, we are creative beings by nature, and that's because our God is creative. 
and uh, as we are created in his image we by by the nature of that are creative and you can just see that from the very beginning where god tells adam to name the animals you know there's creative exercise immediately that that adam has to go out and you know um name all these animals you know and if you just need a cursory view of your you know wikipedia or whatever and, and look at all the interesting names that that you know the, of the the animals that that we you know now just consider the norm you know but you know that all had the genesis in god's very nature um and i think that's a, g- a great place to start is that you know it says in zephaniah that god sang over us you know, so this idea of music is, uh, you know, from that perspective, you know, and the creativity and all that kind of stuff, it's innate to our very, very being because I think it's just part of the very nature of God, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah I think there's, um, that's, I totally agree. I love how Mike has a very great, succinct way of putting everything. Uh, just the first two pages of the Bible, you just spend hours and hours and hours just pondering that and the implications of it, I think. I mean, even just looking at the first chapter where it's, I mean, that's definitely how, as Mike was saying, like you describe, you would describe God as a creating, creative God, right? And then in that very chapter, he makes man in his own image, right? And this whole idea of representing him, right? to the earth and continuing. I mean, I think that's a big, I think that's something that a lot of people kind of miss in the first few chapters is that um, God actually creates us with this purpose to then cultivate, develop what has been started. It's not like he started the earth with cities and with everything just done and we just lay around eating fruit off of trees. Maybe that's an idea people have, but there's a definite continuation of all sorts of work, but creative work is definitely part of that where we're like meant from page one to carry on that, um, that work, which to me, that gives us such, gives me such enormous purpose in, in everything, but in creative work where it's, it's not just like, you know, Hey, I'm a worship leader and I want to find worship leaders in the Bible, you know, but it's actually much broader than that. Um, it goes down to, like you said, the very nature of who God is and who we are as reflections of who he is. Yeah, and, and many years ago, Michael Card wrote a book called Scribbling in the Sand. Mm. And the whole book basically is is from that moment when, when the, the, the Pharisees bring that woman and throw her at mm-hmm. Jesus' feet and, you know, and expecting him to condemn her. And then he ends up writing in the sand. Mm-hmm. And the book was not about the fact that you know what Jesus said or anything but the very fact that he used the medium of sand <laughs> to communicate what he wanted to say he you know what he and obviously it had the effect that he desired but he could have just said those words sure. why didn't he just say those words yeah. you know or you know but he chose the the medium and and uh, mm-hmm. i actually built a whole creativity in the church conference around that particular book because mm-hmm. it was so inspiring just to like god's given us so many different ways to communicate mm-hmm. what he wants to say and sometimes a picture can be more effective than just saying it or an action can be more right. effective than just saying something. Maybe a song has more effective mm-hmm. than just necessarily saying something or, or maybe writing it down or what, mm-hmm. you know, they're just different situations, different ways. And that idea of creativity just comes mm-hmm. from God himself. 
It's a good song too. It is scribbling in the sand. It's a good song. Yeah. We'll put a link to we'll put a link to the song and I'll, I'll put a, the book. Yeah. I'll put a link to the book in yeah. the show notes. Yeah, great book, great book. Michael Card, man. Yeah, yeah, had a lot of good things to say. Yeah. Well, yeah, just on that first chapter of Genesis, um, you know, sometimes people wonder. This is a question that I get asked uh, mm-hmm. sometimes: is why are there two creation accounts mm-hmm. in Genesis? Um, and there are so many theories about this, by the way, mm-hmm. and some of them are really weird, and some of them are actually pretty, pretty uh, plausible and convincing. Right. Um, as far as even some of them get down to issues of source material, mm-hmm. others of them get down to um, questions of even like legends and theology. Again, that's in the weird part. But um, uh, one thing that I think is lost on us, it's lost in translation. Uh, for us who are not speaking Hebrew, is that we miss the fact that Genesis 1 is written in a poetic form, whereas Genesis mm-hmm. 2 is written in a prosaic form. Right. And it's actually referred to, you know, as the song of creation, the first mm-hmm. one. If you read it, there's a cadence to it, there's a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And repetition. There's repetition. Tons of repetition. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that you've thought about this and talked about it before, mm-hmm. Johnny. So maybe can you just jump in on there on the song of creation? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just it, right? So once again, you have all of this. I think the first thing I I would always notice is the repetition. And uh, gosh, man, so much to say about Genesis 1. But I mean, even uh, the the ordering and the structure and everything, I think that's, that's in a lot of the, you know, theories about it too, is like, it's not necessarily, when you think of it that way, it's not trying to simply give you the how in a scientific sense, but really kind of, you know, um, uh, just like a good story and song would, is it's actually leading you to a culminating point, right? Um, and that's so important as far as just like you think of any, especially classical music, I think of like culminations and stuff like that. Um, because you, what you have is um, darkness, chaos, Right. And then God starts to make order out of this, but the order has a direction to it. Right. Um, it's very much starting to zero in on um, humanity. Right. And there where it's like you have the uh, the seas right, and then um, the land and you're, you're getting closer and closer to life. Right. And then the mandate to the animals. But then it, it kind of culminates with that mandate to the humans as those that are going to represent and then carry on this work, right? So if you think of it that way, I guess it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it I, I like the connection there where, I mean, we're talking um, a, an incredibly important truth. I mean, <laughs> the important truth about our existence, but it's more the, um, the, I think as Keller puts it too, right? It's not the how to, but the why, right? It's not the, the, the answer that Genesis 1 is really trying to get at is not how was it done, but more what's it all for? And, um, and when you connect that with like what uh, you're able to do with creative uh, uh, or what is it? Avenues or whatever, right? Think of how much you can communicate um, by using those forms um, to, to, to get it really deep truths to get at what's important and the why of, of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, another big part of that first 11 chapters of Genesis, it's called, um, prehistory. Right. right? And the reason that what it does is it's giving us a, 
foundation narrative or Genesis narrative. That's where you get the title, right? Genesis, the origin narrative for so many things, right? Everything from, I mean, even there's a section there about music. We'll talk about that in just a second. But, mm-hmm. but many, in many ways, the creation account, the Genesis account, the first 11 chapters is giving us origin stories, which, um, on the one hand, see, this is the thing. Whenever you talk about this, people are like, wait a second. Are you saying that these <laughs> things are therefore not accurate or true? Not, not at all. Mm-hmm. But they are told in such a way yeah. that they can be telling us the accurate truth, but also in a way that counteracts some of the other origin narratives which existed in the milieu of that time. So, for example, um, other creation narratives, right? So Mm -hmm. you have um, creation narratives from Mesopotamia that say that the world was created as a result of a chaotic war amongst uh, deities. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the world is the result of you know, war and chaos, and it just kind of exploded and boom, then the world was created. Um, even to later later forms of this, where you have like the Greeks, and they would say, well, the gods created uh, the human beings um, because they wanted to, they didn't like manual labor, and they wanted the human beings to do the work so that they would be free to just kind of like party and indulge. Yeah. And in contrast to that, we have... Genesis 1, the song of creation in which we see a God who is singing uh, creation into being or speaking it into being Mm -hmm. with power, but doing so creatively and in love and Mm -hmm. in total order, where it's not chaos. Unrivaled. What's that? He's unrivaled Unrivaled, by other gods. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And then he's creating the human beings as like the pinnacle of that creation in his own image. Anyway, you just see, yeah, this... It's a totally uh, different narrative, and it tells us so much about God and, and, and yeah. so much about how we ought to think. So, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so on that note, let's talk about Genesis 4, um, <laughs> because this is pretty interesting. That uh, Here's the story of the first couple chapters, right? You have the song of creation, which talks about the seven days of creation. Then you have uh, chapter 2, which focuses in, kind of zooms in on the creation of the man and the woman and their commission in the world. To be oh, fruitful, and, multiply. Go I'm ahead. Yeah, well, and, and there I just realized so Adam, uh, the first little poetry blurb right there, when he sings, when uh-huh. he meets Eve for the first time, there's a little creative bit there. Yep. And when he sings the first, That's well, true, either yeah. love song or love poem, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, as someone pointed out, right, it's like, you know, it's nothing, you know, incredible. It's just like so many love songs. You know, it's it's not like they're, it's incredibly profound, but we just have to sing mm. <laughs> about what we love, right? So there's there's the first instance. Yeah. <laughs> In Genesis three, then um, we see the the rebellion of the man and the woman against God. Right? They're, rather than trusting in God, they trust the words of the liar of the enemy of the serpent and they rebel against God. And as a result, you know, death comes into the world as a result of sin. And, um, God casts them out of the garden, of course, as an act of mercy. That's something I think is often overlooked. A lot Mm -hmm. of people are like, God's being harsh on them, but of course he's not right. He covers them through a sacrifice is a very profound, you know, uh, foreshadowing of the gospel. The innocent animal blood is now shed in order to take that animal's skin and provide a covering for these people because the covering that they made for themselves was inadequate. Mm -hmm. 
And so then he casts them out of the garden. Why? Because lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever, which means that they would live forever in a fallen state. And God didn't want that. He'd rather that they die so that he can then uh, redeem them and resurrect them. Mm -hmm. But then my point is to get to chapter four. What happens in chapter four? We see Cain kills Abel. And then after that, there's this whole section on the origin of, of different things, which is mm -hmm. really interesting. We got the origin of cities. We got the origin of uh, industry, right, with the guy creating machinery. But we also got the, the uh, origin there of music and this guy named Jabel who, who creates, uh, who plays the lyre and the pipe, and he's the father of all who do that. <laughs> uh, any, any thoughts on Genesis 4 from you guys? Um, well, I mean... I, it's interesting that that becomes one of the that's one of the first times we hear about music, and it's just right at the you know right at the very beginning of the uh, of you know the genesis of mankind. Remember, we used to have a music festival in Budapest called the uh, Yubal Yubal Festival, named after <laughs> after this guy. <laughs> And um, and uh, but yeah, so so right from the very beginning, we see that music has is becoming a fabric of 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 who we are as humanity. And as you go through Scripture, you see how important music becomes in telling the story of humanity. Mm -hmm. um, not only telling of the wondrous works of God, which we see immediately. You know, we see what happens as Moses crosses the Red Sea is that, you know, Miriam picks up a tambourine and they write a mm -hmm. song about it. And that song is then carried on from generation to generation about what God has done. You know, mm -hmm. but we have, you know, in Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, the Psalms, we just have, you know, song after song about God's work in humanity and humanity itself. And it's become, music becomes a great vehicle for telling the story of God and of humanity and how God's work in humanity and then of course we see just in the in the in the gospel as well as a mm -hmm. you know as a foreshadowing of the gospel message through a lot of the prophets who would sing you know many times sing their prophecies as well so it's it's you know right there starting Genesis 4 we see the beginning of something a tool as you will that mm -hmm. God will use to communicate uh, truths that will be then passed on, you know, uh, from generation to generation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, what's interesting about it being in prehistory and post fall is just like you were saying about cities. And I, I think this is something that's really important. I think, uh, it needs to be thought through by more people is that we we're kind of polarizing when it comes to what, what comes after the fall, kind of like, you know, is so does like, is everything evil? Are cities evil? Is you know, but it's really kind of. I think the Bible has a very complex way of looking at life after the fall, where there are um, good things and and bad things out of it. Like it 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 was God's intention for us to build cities, and we actually see that from the overall arch of the Bible is that you start in a garden and it ends in a city. When you have new creation, right? We're in a city. Um, and so music, just like, just like so many things, it's like, it's going to be used for ill and for good. And in chapter four, Lamech is going to, you know, uh, write this poetry about his, how great a guy he is and his own brutality and all this stuff. Right. 
Um, and not just like you were saying, this is telling humanity's story where it's, it's obviously the Psalms, for example, so much of the wondrous works of God, it's going to be in song form, but then man's glory too. Um, I think of, um, Saul, what is it? Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands, right? That's a song that everybody's singing. Right. And so it's just. Um, it, I think it's important that it's there in prehistory to show us that this is, this is just, this is part of who we are as humans. And just like, you know, Adam and Eve, we, we, we will deal with the choice of how we're going to use that and cultivate it. It's been used for incredibly terrible things very powerfully, right? But then it's also incredibly influential for good as well. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that points to the inherent tension that we maybe mm-hmm. feel today in the church regarding music, and that's been a generational thing about the the separation of the secular mm-hmm. and, yeah. and uh, the sacred, mm-hmm. and how the church through the ages has tried to assign, you know, uh, this something having a secular meaning, something have a sacred meaning. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, you can't do this. You can't mix the two. And 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 I understand some of the you know the background mm-hmm. to all of that. But music has kind of got caught up in that where you have sacred music and you have secular music. Right. But as you said, you know, it's 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 something. It's a inanimate object. It's it's something that has no inherent uh, evilness or inherent good to it. It's a tool mm-hmm. that God has used through the ages, whether it's for secular reasons, whether it's for sacred reasons, whether it's been used for good or it's been used for bad by humanity, it's still something that we've, we, we just, it's something as a vehicle to communicate a message. And yeah. that message has sometimes been bad and sometimes, but what the church has tried to done, try has tried to do is to, you know, assign it that sec- sacred label or that sec- secular label right. and that's kind of the tension in which we find ourselves especially in modern day mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a, you know it's been a generational thing as you study the history of music you see that every generation has right. had its own form of music and its own voice mm-hmm. and its own way of saying things using the art of music mm-hmm. makes me think of luther right didn't he he wrote the hymns he wrote. He took uh, melodies from, what was it? Like, ger- like, like pub the songs. Pub, pub songs? Song, yeah. folk songs, yeah. yeah Those I mean, kind of melodies, yeah. It's like, and and his and 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 one of the main reasons he was he did that was because up at that point music had become music had developed to such an art form within the Catholic Church and Mass that there mm-hmm. was no participation whatsoever mm-hmm. by the congregation. Mm-hmm. You know, we you know the the Catholic Church, you know, from the beginning gave us we 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 owe all of our musical heritage to them writing down music we had plain song they brought in harmonies right, all of the music right. that we sing today when you think of chamber music and all those things they were written with the with the church in mind they would write songs based on the you know the size of the 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 cathedral and all these kind of things you but that got and then we got gregorian chant and the gregorian chant got to be so complex where you'd have mm-hmm. you know seven voices happening at the same time singing in latin and everybody was just kind of yeah. sitting in awe like this is absolutely amazing and that was kind of the for for luther he brought he wanted to bring music back to mm-hmm. what it's 
true meaning was, and that was a vehicle for a message, right. not for us to to necessarily take in, which is great. We want to entertainment is great. We want to sit back and listen to somebody's, you know, Bach or those beautiful pieces that were written or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, you know, if you look at the look at the Bible and if you look at how music is through history, if you've studied ethnomusicology, how music has been used in every generation mm-hmm. in every culture around our world, it's it's to for a message. Yeah. It's a a plate on which I want to tell you something and you're going to remember what I said and 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 yeah. that was kind of the core of what music has been about yeah. and that's what Luther wanted to do and take take those you know folk songs or whatever and put gospel lyrics to them mm-hmm. so that people would go home singing gospel truth right. you know and I actually think it's, it's the more I think about it you bring it up however we say his name Ubal 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 yeah is that um, it's not the, you know if you it's not being like explicit in in terms of like what he was using this for it's just kind of stating this is kind of part of the development of like humans and how the you know and i think that really it actually is quite helpful and if you think like like i think in terms of the way i listen to music today and being a, a producer and like mixing and all that i listen to a lot of different um stuff and actually not just purely for um the technical side but there are so many guys that um, uh, I'll listen to, even the way they write their lyrics, and and you know it's not, it's not always the the best conclusions, or you know, or even all super clean or whatever. But um, I think what what connecting that to chapter four, it it tells us um, there's there's something about the way every human has the capacity to tap into something that's um that's there and and uh what do we call that like common grace right where um like i think of uh one of my favorites is like queen right and they have that song the show must go on and they're really um asking questions that uh, sometimes i'm like man i wish more christians would be this honest you know um, and, and talking about what, what is all this for abandoned places and all like something's not right. Something's missing. And, and I, I think there's so much to learn from guys who they wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus, but they've definitely through their creativity and you know, tapped into the way God has put everything in order, but then also tapping into there's something, something missing, something's going on that isn't, you know? And when we kind of do that separation of like the sacred and the um, the secular, um, I really feel like we're really missing out actually on some important things we can learn um, from other people who are made in the image of God, fallen as they are. But you know, yeah, definitely something something there. Yeah, and that whole thing about getting back to the image of God—that's why it's so curious about. Um, this guy Ubal, because right, he's actually a descendant of Lamech, who's a descendant of Cain. Mm-hmm. Right, so Cain uh, murders his brother. He then has some kids. One of those kids, you know, then is Ubal or Lamech, and Lamech gives birth to Ubal, and then mm-hmm. Lamech is this guy who seems quite ungodly <laughs> and uh, quite, you know. First polygamist. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right. Yeah, he has multiple wives. And um, 
and he boasts about his brutality. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting, though, that in this, you know, you see that who are we as human beings? We are people who are fallen, but we still bear the image of God. So it's that image is marred, but it's not lost, right? And that's mm-hmm. something that is then redeemed, would you say, as part of Jesus' redeeming work? Uh, yeah, so if, yeah, it's a redeemable, mm-hmm. right? And then that sets us up for Jesus to redeem it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you think about the New Testament? And it's like kind of like a lot of people would say, and I, I ran into this in different circles, um, you know, just they say, well, you know, all the music stuff's in the Old Testament. The mm-hmm. New Testament doesn't have anything to say about music, and therefore it's no longer, like especially if you take a really hard um, dispensational view, right? Then you say, oh, well, we're in this dispensation where there is or music... Um, that's a thing of the past. So what do you think about music um, in the New Testament? Well, I agree that there's not much said about it, but there's not much said about a lot of things that we still carry on, I think, uh, in in life in general. I guess you, that's kind of like the normative and uh, regular principle. Um, you know, but it says, you know, there's at one point it says, Jesus, they sang a hymn and then they... They, they left, you know. Um, then there's also, of course, Colossians uh, 3, 17, 18, where it says, you know, admonish one another in spiritual songs, hymns, and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, so to me, it just kind of speaks that there was still the part of the fabric of their society. I don't think there's any new information that's spoken into that. And because there's no new information doesn't mean that the old information is invalid, I guess, in a sense. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think that I don't think anything changes. I think we're given principles on how to do music, in in a sense, like what should we be singing about, you know? And but those principles, I think, they go across what we should be preaching about, what should we be singing about, what should we be talking about, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is right, you know. Fix your mind on these things, um, you know, those kind of things, you know. Paul says, I will preach Christ crucified. We want to make sure the gospel is centered to everything we're doing. So I don't think, you know, I think, you know, the some of what we're talking, we'll go back to the tension that maybe underlies a lot of our questions today is that, you know, there's been an advent like over the last 40 years, you know, from the 70s of kind of this explosion of new worship music within the church and almost a, a development of a, almost an extra biblical position in a sense, you know, with the advent of the worship leader, which is not necessarily in the Bible. And, um, you know, that worship leader uh, being given the stage for as long as a pastor, and many times that worship leader has zero theological training. Uh, He knows how to play or she knows how to play the guitar and sing, but they don't know anything else. And so a lot of those questions that the New Testament answer, how we should be doing things, they're not necessarily attuned to that as much as they're attuned to their creativity and their their instrument. And so a lot of things, we got a bit backwards, uh, you know, kind of the cart before the horse kind of thing. I think some of that's right now, there's a big, nice, you know, I think happening in, within Christian churches today where there's a, a, a desire to start discipling and teaching people that stand on a stage in front of people and are singing these songs that they need to know what they're doing 
theologically. You know, we're talking about theology here. And I think that's kind of some of the tension that we're dealing with today. And 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 it's only been this like last 40, some 50 years where this explosion of worship music and stuff in the church and a lot of these questions have have arisen, you know, where we have to deal with, with um, you know, what does the New Testament say? And people have like written things into the New Testament, <laughs> like almost in a sense like well, I have the spiritual gift of worship leading. Well, it's like, well, where do you find that? There is there is no spiritual gift of worship leading. It's not even a position in the church, you know. But that doesn't negate the fact that it was the idea of the whole Levite family in the Old Testament was there. And it was a, a huge and important part of the Old Testament uh, covenant with uh, with with God's people, and that that I don't believe has gone away at all. Music has always been a big part of our worship, and we're commanded to, uh, we're told to, we're encouraged to. So many times over in the Bible, you can't ignore it. You know. Yeah, and I, I think um, so many of the like you're saying, like an ultra sort of dispensational view. I think it's very reactionary too. Recently. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, there is an issue, I think, with like making it um, everything and almost um, kind of uh, almost like there are two different things. I experienced this as a worship leader where it's like, you know, we come for the worship or we come for the, you know, teaching or whatever. And um, and, and so, but we, we try to answer that particular cultural issue by going to the Bible as if it's, you know, as if it addresses that specific thing. And I think what's really important to understand about the New Testament is that it's not exhaustive. Uh, I think, I mean, you think of, um, it's uh, even an example, I think, is the book of Acts. Like, it, that's not all of church history of the first century, like not even close, right? And, and then Paul's letters are dealing with um, living out, like, a life as a Jesus follower in a community of believers with very sp- specific problems. I mean, and they have, obviously there's all these principles involved in that and everything. And I mean, it, and we get a really, you know, robust picture of like what it, what it means through that, but it's not dealing with so many issues. Right. And music, I think is one of them. What, you know, and when people say music is in the old Testament and not in the new Testament. Yeah. So I partially agree, but then like, but the writers of the New Testament have a whole lot to say about the Old Testament and and pointing back to it continually as like this is the continuation of like, you know, <laughs> living out this plan that God has had from the very beginning. And that's why I think it's uh, I think it's a for for people who lead worship and are in music ministry, I think it's really important to, to get this more holistic view instead of, like I was saying earlier, in a way I would just be like, stop trying to find yourself as a worship leader. Like, okay, you're not in there. That's fine. <laughs> like we don't have to be in there. Um, let's maybe take a more holistic approach. Let's actually look at, because what we're talking, what we've been talking about this whole time is like, this is like part of being human and part of, humanity is this creative thing that we're built with and it's going to find its expression in every generation and every culture and that's going to be slightly different ever you know um and maybe there won't be like in 50 years 100 years maybe we won't have the structures we have today as far as like 
worship leader and worship. I mean, who knows how, how this is going to go, you know? There's always some sort of change. This is a very dynamic thing, even the last oh, three, four hundred years, you know? Well, just the last 50 years. Just last, the last, last 50, 50 years. years, music has taken on a whole, I mean, it's really, really changed, yeah. of, uh, you know, the way it's, it's expressed in, right. in church. Yeah, you know? and so... Uh, and so it's in, instead of trying, cause I think there's almost like this f- trying to find in the new Testament, like, um, almost trying to project our Sunday morning service into that, you know, like, um, do we see it exactly? Cause it almost like we want to justify what we do today by like trying to find it exactly like that in the new Testament. Right, like an eisegetical way where we're <laughs> like, here's what we're doing. Now let's find it what yeah, we're exactly. doing in the Bible. And we just, we don't have to do that, right? Like, um, yeah, and I, I think it's it, obviously starting with the reverse, but then also realizing it is important to realize, especially with creativity, that um, we're not going to necessarily find specifics. And, and um, but part of that is almost like because of, it's kind of like uh, asking a fish to, um, to describe what water is, you know, like, because I'm, I'm certain it's like, it was just there, you know what I mean? Like, didn't have to talk about like, let's like, you guys better keep singing. Like they did, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. That's, and that's an important p- point. It's, it's a part of very fabric of who we are. And that's, yeah. and that's why you know, when I talked about sec- secular and sacred is that mm-hmm. over the centuries, the church has tried to separate this part from our lives, so we mm-hmm. we can sing a Bob Dylan song, but then oh, you come to church where you're not allowed to sing. You can can't listen, Bob Dylan, yeah, yeah. You can you can listen to drums on a CD, but you can't have drums in church, right? You know. And I remember in, in, in Budapest there was a church that uh, it was a Baptist church, and they, you know at that time this was in, in the '90s, early 2000s, and they were all you know there was a big uproar about drums and stuff, and they said, well, if that's the thing that stopped, we'll and they baptized the drums in the baptismal in the church. <laughs> like now the drums are sacred. Seriously, that's what they did. Like, okay, it's now sacred. It's now, you know, given over to the Lord, you know. The old drums are dead. Behold, there's a new creation, yeah. you know. Holy you know, DW drums. So, we, you know, and I think, you know, I think it's important, you know, that we don't get fixated on music. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you do a cursory study of music, music has changed throughout the centuries. Now there's mm-hmm. music that we gravitate towards to uh, towards, but but every generation has had new music. Every revival has had new mm-hmm. music. It's it's part of the very fabric of what we we do and and but I think it's important that we don't lose the meat why do we have it is the question you talked about the why I mean I go you go back to the first century there was a guy and I think his name was Jimenez or something like that he was a first century uh, theologian in North Africa and he's recorded as writing hymns to combat Gnostic heresy (laughs) that was his whole Mm -hmm. purpose to write hymns not so that we could have a sing-along on Sunday morning but he wanted to combat uh, Gnostic heresy and when Mm. you think of and that was one of the main things of creating music so that people have a way of of learning about the nature of God and learning about theology and learning about these kind of things. And and you can see that some of that's been lost in modern music where we kind of, we sing about ourselves all the time. But (laughs) but music has been a vehicle for a message for centuries. And it's only in the last probably 40 years where that's kind of changed where the music itself has become central. Kick drum, bass, you know, yes. everything, which 
I'm a musician. I love that kind of stuff. But I love a, you know a good sounding stage and everything's rocking and all that kind of stuff. But you you can't forget that the music is there for the message, right? And not vice versa. And as soon mm -hmm. as we lose that, as soon as, and I think that's the important part of understanding the theology of music is that it's the study of God. And the, yeah. the music is there to enhance our study of God. So when people leave the building, they're singing a truth about God or they're being reminded, they're humming that melody they, ha they sang at church mm -hmm. and they're being reminded, you know, in, in Christ alone or whatever song it was, yeah, yeah. you know, they're being reminded of that over and over again. And that was... That goes all the way back to Moses and Miriam picking up that tambourine. Yep. She writes a song. Why? Because God just delivered them from the Egyptians. That's an important thing for them to remember. David did the same thing, you know, commend from generation to generation, he says mm -hmm. in the Psalms over and over again, the wondrous works right. of God, you know. And so I think that's the one of the most important aspects. And the, what we can get from the New Testament, you know, is that what is the message and how can I filter my creativity and we're talking about music but anything that you do whether right. it's artwork whether you write books or poetry or you know it's a you know we learned the other day and uh, you know the other Sunday zomar is a Hebrew word for for praise in the Bible but it means instrumental music so you're mm -hmm. listening to something beautiful by yeah. Bach or Haydn or, or whoever it might be that you know wrote and you can you know, just be taken into the presence of God, yeah. you know, through that kind of medium. Right. And that's such an, that's an essential point when you were saying about the what and the how, right? I think that's just, um, just that order, I think is always like, for, as and running a, a studio for me is like, we, we just keep asking ourselves the question, what are we saying? What are we communicating? And it's so incredibly easy to get, to get for the how for how it looks and how it sounds and how it's presented to become the main thing. So, and the New Testament really does speak into that. I, mean, I think of like 1 Corinthians 13 and just being that clashing symbol and just the empty sound of like, that's really that idea, right? Is where it's, it's, it's empty, it's nothing. And then I think of the several times in the Old Testament where that's mentioned. Um, uh, Isaiah 1 is the famous one where he says, I don't, I don't want your sacrifices. I have all the, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need that um, because of what's, because of what their hearts are like, you know, it's, it's, they've got the externals, right? And, and once again, I think that's an issue we have is that we're looking for the externals in the scriptures and, um, but it's the, what is actually being communicated that is, is essential. And, and that really, is a, a principle, I think, really. Yeah. It reminds me, I mean, just one example that's John Wesley and Charles Wesley, right? So, how many songs mm. did Charles Wesley oh, write? Thousands. It's say, like thousands, a lot. Yeah. yeah. And his whole thing, from what I read, was that they're speaking to the uneducated masses who, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution in the United Kingdom, you know, at that time, or I guess it's Great Britain at that time, they were, um, you know, there's all these people. He's in cities like Bristol where the only people who would go into the churches, uh, the common people weren't going, and they weren't even really welcome. And so he'd be like, well, let's meet on the church lawn and have all the working class people come out. And many of those people couldn't read. And so Charles Wesley, one of his whole purposes in writing as many songs as he did was to mm -hmm. educate 
people who couldn't read. Well, if you're not going to be able to read your Bible, mm-hmm. let me teach you a song and teach exactly. you elements of the faith. John Newton did the exact same thing for his congregation. Blew my mind. That's why I started writing songs. I, I saw that once a week, he would write a hymn to his sermon. It's like, what? Wow. <laughs> once a week. Wow. Yeah. Bach did the same thing. He'd write, yeah. he'd write whole full orchestrations and choral music for every single Sunday. Yeah, that's insane. Just, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and we get to benefit from all of that. But, yeah. you know, he was just inspired by God. And I was just thinking about, you just think of all the cathedrals. We've all yeah. been in Europe. And well, maybe there are a few here in the United States. But that was man's desire just to somehow yeah. encapsulate, if they could, the glory of God. You know, to like, how can yeah. we build something so beautiful just to kind of reflect some... Yeah. Of what what God is, and 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 the music that we play, it is but a shadow, right. as Scripture says. Of it's we are seeing dim, <laughs> dimly, dimly of what the glorious worship is going to be, like in Revelation five, or yeah. you know that we're we're shown in those in the, you know what it's going to truly be. I mean, it's going to be an amazing concert, right? <laughs> you know? And I, I think those stories are a healthy critique for the way we've perceived of worship music in the last. 40, 50 years, is that we're, you know, there's so much, and I, I find myself struggling with this, where you, you want to write the next hit song. I feel like every time I start focusing on that, I can never write anything. Like, but that's the, it, but it actually, I think it keeps people from writing because um, the, the, the focus was totally different. Like you're saying, like thousands of hymns, right? Just to, in order to, um, educate and learn, you know, and and this whole idea of like writing the next hit song, you're much less focused on the content, and you're focused on certain elements of they're not bad, but once again, when they're the primary thing, the getting a good hook mm-hmm. and making it under four minutes, and you know the bump, drums pumping and all that kind of stuff, and I just think um, we kind of need to, we need to get back to if we're talking congregational worship, I think we should get back to the congregation, like I want to serve these people in expressing what the theology of God through music, right? And that would, I think that would kind of change the approach a little bit, you know? So let's say somebody's listening to this and they've made it this far. We're glad you're still here. <laughs> um, if you uh, have made it this far, right? Somebody's listening to this and they're saying, man, this really resonates with me. It kind of like lighting a fire and maybe in a way that I want to be I want to express the creativity that God has put into me as his image bearer. Um, what advice would you give them? Like the, if they say, you know, whether it's through music or whether it's through some other form, they say, I want to, you know, honor God and, and do use these creative things that he's put inside of me. What advice would you give to that person? Well, I would say spend as much time with the Lord and scripture as you do with your instrument or with your mm-hmm. art. So make sure that that you're giving equal or more time to that. I know as artists, artists tend to, to when they when they get into something. I know I was in the studio, and you just get into it. You're focused. Your mind is zoned, and you sit for eight hours and do something, and not even know that eight hours just went by. You get so super focused, and I think you really help yourself if you kind of take some of that energy and put it into you know uh, into your time with the Lord. I think it was. Uh, uh, it was Dwight Moody, Moody who said, "If, um, if uh, you know, as if I got a lot, a lot to do, 
you know, he, people would say, you know, well, you know, cut out your prayer time. He says, I pray twice as long if I have a lot to do that day, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's that, I mean, it's that kind of mentality. Like it, you, you think it's counterproductive, but if you want to, if you want to, I think if you really want to have impact with your art, uh, whatever that may be, then spend time with the creator, the creator and let him influence and and uh, you know all that you're doing and your decisions. You might be surprised as to what directions he might might take you take you in. And and yeah, spend time. You know, be excellence is such a big part of the scripture. Being mm-hmm. good at what you do, God. You know, Proverbs says that the gift makes way for the giver. You know, that idea and brings him before kings. The idea that God might have given you a gift to to get you before people that others might never be able to speak the gospel to so you might have a gift whether that's painting whether that's you know whatever it might be writing poems writing books that god's Mm going to use or music or whatever it is that god's going to use to get you before a king and present the gospel Mm -hmm. you know and that's so that part's important but don't forget to spend time with your creator yeah i think the way you even just formulated the question (laughs) if like if somebody like wrote that out, I would continually refer back to it. You know, like I want to. How, how did you put it? Uh, use like and develop this gift to the to the glory of God. And all that. Like that'll actually keep you keep the priorities straight. Like go back and say why why am I doing this? Um, and kind of uh, alongside of that, I would say to um, I hope that this conversation has been a way of kind of setting some people free to understand that we're not just talking about like, like there's a, where, where I am in Ukraine, there's a, a big thing about like pretty much music is if you're a Christian, then the only outlet is in congregational worship. Like that's where we really need. And that's what I do. I write for the congregation, but what we're, part of what we're saying is like, that's, the sky's the limit. I mean, you, you can use this in like the, like secular environments and all this. If you like that first part of like to the glory of God and what Mike's saying about spending time with him and retelling for yourself over and over again, the story that you're a part of as a follower of Jesus, then it, it really is freeing then to be like, Oh, okay. I, I can be an artist who writes about life and struggles of life. And maybe it's, in, maybe it's explicit that you're sharing the gospel. Maybe it's more implicit that you're just kind of getting people to think about different issues of life. And there are so many different ways in which this can get expressed. And, um, and, and I think we really don't need to hold back as far as like, okay, it's, it's only confined to these certain um, things. But, but definitely that first part of just to the glory of God, you know, and just refer back to that continually. Yeah, if you're in love with your creator, yeah, then your art's gonna reflect that. We write about what we love. Yeah. I truly believe that. You don't need to necessarily put Jesus in every word or <laughs> put Jesus on every corner of your painting. Those that those that are truly in love with God, it's gonna be reflected in their art. Absolutely. And um, mm-hmm. I think you know that just bears its. History bears that out. <laughs> have you ever have you ever seen it like you um, even people who yeah people's art and people who sing certain things that even if they're not saying that mm-hmm. they're a Christian have you ever had the experience where you're like I bet this guy is a believer yeah <laughs> you know? oh, totally many like, you many can times see it yeah. it's very it's very much there so, yeah. yeah and and uh, you know just a 
last thought, I mean, with people, you know, we kind of always put this in the context of the church and the modern day church. You know, as a worship leader, I try and get on the stage and I try and one of the unique things about the church is that it has so many, you know, you could have three generations worth of people in your congregation who are affected or have been impacted by three generations of music. And we know that they react, they they have different emotional attachments and all these kind of things. So you're standing and you're trying to bring that group of people together, unified under one song, and you're trying to, you know, sing in such a way where everybody comes. And what's the great thing is that you can you can put these songs out there and the older generation can love the younger generation by singing their songs and the young generation mm-hmm. can love the older generation by singing their songs. Yeah, it's and it's just that. a great way for us to come together as a church and because we all love our music. <laughs> we all love her, but that's a great way for us to love one another, you know, and become unified and admonish one another in psalms, mm. hymns, and spiritual what a songs. Testimony. And yeah, it's a great testimony for a church to come together mm. like that. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anybody say that, and I think that that is something that people need to hear right yes. there. Uh, that's yep. like as far as congregations go. That is um, that's a pretty strong word there. So with that, let me just close this by saying this. Where where can people connect with you and the music that you write and that? Let's start with Mike. I know you're on Spotify, right? I'm on Spotify. I, I don't have a lot of English music out there. I spent most of my life in Hungary, and my passion was for Hungarian songwriters. So a lot of my thoughts and ideas and creativity went into their songs. I do have a couple out there. There's one called that I just recorded like two years ago is My Times. Uh, it's up there on um, on Spotify, and you can find it on YouTube. And there's another one called No Way Out, which I wrote for a film that was never finished <laughs> it's a pretty depressing song so <laughs> you catch the irony of the song but uh that's yeah, a good one man. it's uh but um yeah so there's a few out there john's definitely got a lot more song great well, songs out there yeah john tell us about well but also a lot of ukrainian songs i write pr- primarily in ukrainian um and then we've translated many of those into english um, so Room for More Music, uh, Room for More on Spotify, iTunes and all that. And then on Instagram, Room for More Music. And we do, if you want to just subscribe, uh, one of our next orders of business is to uh, release an English EP. And, um, and then we're also going to re-upload um, the very first thing we recorded, which we did with Mike in Budapest as uh, Strength great and Weakness. songs, great songs. Yeah. yeah, five songs we did with, with them there. So that'll be up also under Room for More. So, yeah. Awesome. Hey, thanks, guys. And thank you for listening. And if you would do us a favor, leave a review over on the iTunes uh, podcast app and the uh, store there or whatever that is. It's an iTunes podcast portal. Uh, that would be great. It helps people connect with us and find out more about uh, the content, you know, it helps us get our content in the algorithm so more people can find it. And love it if you'd share this with a friend. Give us a like, rating, review, all that good stuff. And we'll be with you again next time. Hey everybody, Nick Katie here once again. And I want to invite you to a special event that's taking place 
in the month of September, on September 17th and 18th, here in my home state of Colorado. It's called the Expositors Collective Training Weekend. So this is a 24-hour immersive experience in which you are going to be trained by Bible teachers and preachers experienced in the craft of how to craft a message and, and how to present a message. All the aspects that go into preaching and teaching the Bible with Christ at the center and doing it well in a way that's compelling, in a way that is faithful. I would love for you to come. I'm part of the steering committee of the Expositors Collective. It's a cool ministry. Check us out at expositorscollective.com. And that's also where you can find information and sign up for this Colorado Springs training weekend. You know, the, the Expositors Collective is a group of pastors, leaders, and lay people who just have a heart to raise up the next generation of Christ-centered expository preachers. So if that's you, maybe you feel a calling from God on your life and you just want to explore that. Maybe you want to stir up some gifts that might be latent within you. We'd love to have you come out. If you are involved in teaching the Bible in any way, whether it's to kids, to youth, or to congregations, come out. We would love to have you. Uh, this is an open to participants ages 18 through 35. Now, if you're outside of that age group, contact us anyway. Maybe you can come and serve those younger people in some way, but this is primarily directed towards those in the 18 18 to 35 age group because we want to raise up the next generation and we want to see them equipped with the tools that they need in order to preach Christ faithfully and well. So check it out. Again, registration information, all that good stuff is available at expositorscollective.com. And you can check out the Expositors Collective podcast. I host episodes over there every now and then, but every week they have great interviews with preachers and teachers of the Bible that can really help you in your public proclamation and your private study of God's Word. Thanks and God bless.